Welcome to the Virtual Word Rounds, a surgery podcast that helps you answer those burning questions you never had a chance to ask by the bedside. Okay, welcome back to the Virtual Word Rounds. Uh, today, uh, our guest is Andrew. Um, hi, Andrew. How's it going? Hi, Serge. Uh, it's going well. Uh, thanks very much for coming um, on, on, on our show. It's uh, always uh, a pleasure seeing uh, more people interested in surgery. Uh, so, do you mind introducing the topic that we're going to be talking about today? Sure. Um, so, today we're going to be talking about acute limb ischemia, um, which is a possibly limb or life-threatening um, loss of uh, uh, vascular supply to one of the limbs. Oh, that sounds exciting. Uh, um, I, I must admit I'm a, a general surgeon. I'm not a vascular surgeon, so I probably wouldn't be talking anywhere as much as I normally do in this podcast. So, it's uh, it's it's all up to you today, Andrew. Okay, well, I'm glad I took a few notes before I came on. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Fantastic. But before we start, um, as usual, every time we have a new guest on our show, we ask them to uh, tell us uh, something about themselves which is not medically uh, uh, relevant. Uh, do you have a an interesting fact of your life that you can share with us today? Oh. Um... You caught me a bit off guard there, but I think uh, I'd probably just go with, you know, after my undergrad in psychology, I went and travelled um, travelled Europe for a couple of months. Um, so I think I hit about just shy of 20 countries um, in that period in 2015. So that was a bit of a culture shock, having never been out of Australia before. That's impressive. Uh, 20 countries in two months, that's a lot of countries. Yeah, something like that. I used to be able to rattle them all off in order, but I've kind of lost that skill now. So it's a long list. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And you mentioned you are, uh, your undergraduate degree was psychology. Yes, uh, so I did psychology uh, at UQ in Brisbane. Um, and probably about halfway through, I started to get the feeling that it might not be quite the field for me. But And mm. that's when I started thinking about medicine a bit more seriously and almost a bit of an overcorrection, but I don't think you know, a true overcorrection in the sense that I'm enjoying the surgical side a lot more than I did the hands-off yeah. stuff. Uh, let's let's get back to uh, the topic at hand. So I'm going to start off by asking you um, uh, to define uh, what acute limb ischemia is and, um, uh, and uh, what are the main ways that it happens uh, in, in our patients. Yeah, so in, in my understanding, acute limb ischemia is essentially a loss of arterial supply to one of the limbs uh, and it more commonly affects the legs and this results in ischemic injury um, of that particular limb which requires um, urgent revascularization because um, time is essentially money or muscle in this case. Um, yeah. yeah and I think the and so yeah more often affects the the lower limbs so the legs than the arms um, and the, there's a few main causes. So the first one being a, an acute thrombosis um, secondary to a ruptured atherosclerotic plaque mm -hmm. um, within a, a main artery of a limb. Um, in a similar vein, there uh, can be a thromboembolic event, so a thrombus from somewhere else in the body coming to the limb and including an artery. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can also get a secondary to trauma, such as a broken bone or an iatrogenic injury. So it's a non-complication of something like a femoral artery catheterization. Um, and those are probably the big four things that I've seen and heard of. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. Um, uh, the the first one with um, thrombus formation uh, in the setting of a pre-existing 
uh, narrowing in that in that vessel, uh, sort of on a background of a peripheral peripheral vascular disease or pre-existing peripheral vascular disease, is probably the commonest one uh, these days because we are so good at picking up heart arrhythmias and and uh, treating them before they become a problem. But if you've got a pre-existing uh, peripheral vascular disease, if you've got a pre-existing narrowing or a plaque, the plaque can rupture and lead to a thrombus formation, or because of the uh, turbulence of the flow and the low speed of the flow over that plaque, uh, the clot just can form by itself. Uh, and trauma is a funny one, uh, which is, you know, a third big category. You know, the iatrogenic trauma catheters and everything else, that kind of stuff we, we keep a very close eye on. But blunt trauma, you know, car accidents and things with uh, broken, uh, broken bones uh, sometimes can be missed uh, because what's the most, what's the one biggest symptom that majority of these patients uh, with acute limb ischemia present with, uh, Andrew? Uh, so, yeah, I believe it's um, pain secondary to the ischemia in the limb. Yeah, so pain is the is by far the most dominant symptom that is present with, and not, not the only symptom, but but pain is the first. And when you have a patient with trauma, they're going to have pain. Uh, so sometimes, in in my experience, especially uh, trauma of the upper extremities, we can miss uh, a dissection or uh, or an, or arterial occlusion because patients have got either distracting pain somewhere else or their pain is assumed to be because of the trauma rather than ischemia. So that's something to really keep an eye on. If you've got, if you've got um, long bone fracture, fracture of the humerus, fracture of the femur, keep an eye out for arterial injury uh, because you can develop dissections, which can occlude that artery immediately, or you can develop a clot secondary to bruising and damage of the endothelium of the artery in the following 24, 48 hours as well. Um, okay, now let's talk about uh, more about presentation. So we've mentioned um, we mentioned pain being the, the sort of the dominant symptom, uh, but thinking back to medical school, I believe that um, people with thromboembolic events and people with peripheral vascular disease uh, present differently uh, with acute limb ischemia. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I believe so because um, they can have sort of a chronic or partial um, occlusion that develops over time. So there's mm. um, sort of different presentations in that sense compared to the acute, you know, occlusion, no occlusion to occlusion um, yep. progression. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the more chronic um, kind of stuff, you get the incomplete ischemia and that sort of partial hypoxia, I think, can cause the development of a collateral circulation mm. um, within the limb, which can then allow um, some vascular supply to continue distal to an occlusion that may occur later down the line. Um, you can also, you know, generally get, um, a gradual loss of the peripheral pulses. Yeah. So I suppose you'd probably be aware of their peripheral vascular disease, but have other sort of symptoms like, um, maybe bruises within the artery, um, potentially you could feel like a hardening of an artery, um, or you might identify some vascular risk factors like hypertension, smoking, diabetes, and dyslipidemia being the big four. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are probably the differences I'd consider in someone with existing peripheral vascular disease compared to an acute. And how does the acute, uh, so the thromboembolic uh, event uh, present with? Um, so as you mentioned, there's pain as the sort of cardinal mm -hmm. symptom, but there's a there's a um, 
sort of mnemonic or memory device they use called the six P's, which I've found quite useful. And so they stand for pain, pallor. So the distal to the occlusion turns initially turns white or quite pale. Mm-hmm. Um, pulselessness. So, you know, if you block the artery, you're not going to feel a pulse beyond the occlusion. Yep. Uh, and there's also paresthesia and paralysis. So that sort mm-hmm. of talks about, um, you know, loss of function with regard to nerve supply um, in a hypoxic state. And then finally is... I can never pronounce the actual word, but the sort of colloquialism is um, perishing cold. It's like poikiliothermia or something like that. I think um, that's pretty good. <laughs> better, better, yeah, than okay. I, better than I could say for sure. All right. But it's hard to remember though, isn't it? Uh, but it's basically it is. cold. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a cold, cold food. Uh, so cold, pale, pulseless, um, uh, no sensation, no movement. Uh Oh, Andrew, something something that I remember from my medical school days is called phlegmasia alba dolens, which is a painful white leg. Now, phlegmasia alba dolens is not uh, part of the acute limb ischemia that we're talking about today. Uh, phlegmasia alba dolens is specific to deep vein thrombosis, uh, and this is in initial stages of the massive deep vein thrombosis of the lower limb when the leg becomes pale and cold and painful. Uh, it is not to be mistaken uh, with um, uh, a thromboembolic or uh, acute clot formation in the artery. Okay, phlegmasia alba dolens and phlegmasia cerulea dolens, they're both related to the, to the massive DVT. So I just wanted to make it clear because it's, it's a common confusion. I could definitely see that getting confused with the pale, cold kind of presentation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on the differences between a thromboembolic uh, arterial occlusion and a thrombus formation on background of pre-existing peripheral vascular disease. As you have correctly said, if you have a pre-existing peripheral vascular disease, you have narrowing of the arterial flow and collateral circulation develops. Therefore, when the main vessel blocks, you have collateral circulation to still supply the limb. The limb doesn't get enough blood circulation and still presents with pain, but the onset of the pain and symptom progression is going to be significantly more indolent. And it is proportional, inversely proportional to the amount of collateral circulation. So if you let the collateral circulation develop over 10, 15 years, if you eventually block off your femoral artery, you may not actually know unless you go for a bit of a, a walk and then you start getting more pain, okay? But uh, if, you, if your collateral circulation isn't adequate, you're going to still present with pain, uh, but your progression of symptoms is going to be slower. Uh, with, um, without pre-existing peripheral vascular disease, if you have a complete occlusion of arterial supply to the leg, the leg begins to die. So do you, uh, can, you can you give us a bit of a time frame of sort of what goes, process of, of ischemia becomes irreversible. How much time do we have? Um, so from the first occlusion, I think it's about six hours um, before you start to get irreversible uh, damage secondary to that hypoxic state. Yep. Um, and it sort of presents um, on that theme of pallor. So if you're looking at the leg, it starts white and then um, as time progresses, it starts to become sort of mottled and congested um, so getting darker, more purple kind of look. And initially that modeling is um, a blanchable, a blanching kind of rash. So you apply pressure and it turns white. 
Um, and then that progresses to a darker kind of modeling or infiltrate that doesn't blanch with pressure. Um, and then that will eventually result in um, blistering and it's kind of like a liquefactive necrosis kind of um, process if left untreated or not revascularized within that time frame. Yeah. And so uh, the, first you're going to get pain and then you're going to get a, a paresthesia. So at about sort of at about three hour mark after onset of pain, you, you your, your leg will become numb. And then at about four hours mark, it, it becomes, uh, you, you would be able to move it. And then, as you said, the irreversible ischemia happens at about six hour mark of complete occlusion. So that's how much time we have to uh, to, to fix that. The first things that die within in, in your leg is not is not skin, is not the surface. It's going to be the muscle that dies first, isn't it? And that's why you're going if you know if you successfully uh, achieved a revascularization of the leg, you, you're going to get a potential complication with rhabdomyolysis um, and uh, and renal failure. So what? Let's let's talk briefly about the uh, treatment opportunities that we have. Um, available for someone that's presenting with uh, acute pulseless limb, uh, and um, and and uh, and say we've done a CT angiogram and we found that there is an occluded femoral um, femoral artery. Okay. Well, my my first uh, answer was going to be imaging, so you've done that one for me. Yeah. Um, yep. But I suppose once you've got that diagnosis from the imaging, your first point of call is going to be to call the vascular surgeon and let them know that you've got an ischemic limb because they need to sort of mobilize and get ready to revascularize um, the limb. Or a general surgeon if you're in Armidale because there aren't, there aren't any vascular surgeons uh, about 400 kilometer radius. Yeah, and so then I did read about um, in some cases you can use um, Hep, IV heparin, but I think that was more for the throm, um, thrombosis. You, you're going to use IV heparin regardless, okay? You're going to you use are. IV heparin regardless because it's going to buy you a little bit more time somehow, okay? You're going to start okay. that anyway as, you, as, as the patient comes into the emergency department and you suspect that they've got ischemic limb, you're going to hit them with a bolus and you're going to start them on infusion, all right? But that's not the treatment, isn't it? It's, it's sort of prevention of progression at best. Yeah. And then I suppose the definitive treatment then would be an embolectomy or a thrombectomy or thrombectomy. Yep. Um, and I believe there's two possible approaches. So you can have a, a endovascular, which is done with like a balloon catheter, mm -hmm. or you can have an open um, procedure, which uh, I imagine is the surgeon essentially cutting open the, the artery and, and removing the, the clot yep. in, in that way. Um, I did also see the topic of like a distal bypass being set up. So, so for... Um... For a thromboembolic event, for someone with reasonably good vessels, that's that's very rare these days. I must highlight it again. Uh, for but for a thromboembolic event, the idea is to break up the clot and and, and take it out. And we used to do quite a, a few um, femoral artery uh, catheter embolectomies uh, in the past. Not so much anymore, because majority of people that present with acute limb ischemia have got peripheral vascular disease, and for those patients. Um, embolectomy is not easy and commonly does not work as well. So the catheter embolectomy is essentially uh, cut down onto the femoral artery, stick a Fogarty catheter of different of different size and pull the clot out. Sometimes you also need to cut down onto the popliteal fossa, isolate the popliteal artery there if you if you can't um, navigate the clot and see if you can if you, you can get it out this way. As a general surgeon, this is the, li the limit of my ability. However, the vascular surgeons, what they can do is uh, they can do 
percutaneous thrombolytic uh, therapy and, as you said, mechanical thrombectomy. And they use a contralateral approach. They go on the other leg. They put a sheath across the bifurcation of the aorta and they approach the clot from above. And what they do is they bypass it with a wire and then break it up with a jet and suck it out. And they also can use TPA uh, to, um, uh, to finish up the lysis of the clot. Um, so, so that's called a thrombolytic therapy. Now, what is TPA? What does it do? Um, TPA is tissue plasminogen activator, um, which basically activates um, plasminogen, as the name would suggest. Uh, and plasminogen is um, a compound in the body that breaks down fibrin clots. So essentially, um, like, yeah, allows you to chemically break down the fibrin that forms or holds uh, platelets together uh, in that em embolus or uh, thrombotic uh, clot. Yeah, and so that's uh, used in uh, in both settings, but uh, it is more useful from what I understand in a setting of a thromboembolic event. Now, the, this, the, the, this TPA, or sometimes we can use streptokinase for the same sort of um, thing, it, it dissolves fibrin, it dissolves the clot. So there are significant contraindications to its use, isn't that correct? I'd imagine an existing like clotting disorder, so like a haemophilia or potentially um, like a concurrent use, yeah, concurrent use of like blood thinners like warfarin. Or, or cirrhosis anytime, anytime you've got um, a coagulopathy. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, if, you, if you're going to give patients a TPA, usually deliver it directly to the, to the thrombus, uh, but you're going to reduce your uh, heparin infusion for the duration of their um, thrombolytic therapy, uh, because in combination, they're going to produce significant uh, potential risk for bleeding. Um, yep, that's correct. Uh, any other examples of contraindication? Um, oh, my head just went straight to bleeding then. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bleeding, bleeding. So any any time the patient had a recent bleeding, okay, uh, if the patient had a recent stroke, if the patient has had a, a recent trauma, they had recent surgery, um, any time that they that they that they that they have a, a clot that is fresh enough that it can also be dissolved with the thrombolytic therapy. So those are contraindications to that. So if if you can't do uh, if you can't uh, do thrombolytic therapy, so you're limited to mechanical breakdown. Um, if you have patient with pre with pre-existing peripheral vascular disease, and you've got a clot uh, uh, that's uh, that's now sitting in 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 one of the major arteries, uh, then you essentially try everything and anything you can do. Uh, you can also try uh, thrombolytic um, therapy and mechanical thrombectomy, uh, but it may not be sufficient because the pre-existing plaque may not may not be dealt with so you can you can try also stenting if you if you can bypass the clot and you can remove the clot then you can place a stent within the artery to stop to 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 open it up a little bit more and to stop the plaque from from narrowing it uh, you can perform an endoterectomy once you've established a, a flow so you can you can open up the femoral artery and you can take out the endothelium together with the plaque uh, put a put a patch on top and stitch it back together um, and that's that's possible. And of course, you can do um, a bypass. Uh, a bypass is usually a, a graft, and you connect the graft proximally to a vessel that's hopefully doesn't have a lot of disease because it's, otherwise it's very very difficult. And then you connect it distally past the obstruction to essentially provide that collateral blood flow, but you're just creating it yourself. Whatever works works. But if everything fails and we cannot revascularize the leg, what are we going to do? 
Well, I suppose, yeah, if, we, if we're unable to re- revascularize the leg, then we're going, the leg's going to become ischemic and die. Yeah. So we're going yeah. to have to um, consider amputation in that event. Yeah. And 15% of all patients presenting with acute limb ischemia, generally speaking, uh, will end up having an amputation. Uh, we don't have to amputate them, you know, above, above the knee. Um, a lot of the times we can um, wait and for the leg to demarcate and then we can, um, you know, perform amputation appropriately, uh, and it is it is not a failure uh, per se uh, of of treatment. So yeah, a lot of a lot of patients that we get these days uh, are elderly with uh, chronic peripheral uh, vascular disease with all of those risk factors, uh, lifelong smokers. That's you know that's that's your typical vascular patient at at the moment. They are not easy to deal with, but obviously. The sooner we recognize the the problem, the sooner we identify the blocked vessel, and and the sooner we can attack it and treat it, the better the chances of successful recovery is going to be. Now, before we wrap this up, I just wanted to uh, quickly talk about some of the complications and um, uh, and um, and side effects of um, of having um, an acutely ischemic limb. So we already mentioned. Uh, rhabdomyolysis, which is essentially your muscle dying, releasing myoglobin into the bloodstream, and myoglobin is toxic to the kidneys, so you can get um, acute renal, acute tubular necrosis and renal failure, uh, and that's treated with um, uh, rehydration and diuresis, and occasionally needs, uh, I believe, a dialysis. Um, but um, the other the other thing that's um, common in acute limb ischemia is uh, compartment syndrome, and I just wanted you to uh, briefly talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. So compartment syndrome is basically um, a neurovascular compromise of a limb, which is caused by a buildup of pressure within a, a limited body compartment. So, so in the leg, I believe that's usually the calf. So the calf muscles are sort of bound by fascia, which isn't very stretchy. Um, and if you have an ischemic injury, that can cause an increase in capillary, an increase in capillary permeability, um, which then results in edema or swelling on re- upon reperfusion. And that swelling can cause that pressure buildup um, within the compartments of the leg. And that then results in an increased pressure in that compartment, which could compress um, your vessel, your newly revascularized vessels, and also your nerve supply to the, um, to the foot. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a very important top, a very important point, and absolutely correct here, Andrew, is that you can have um, compartment syndrome after the limb have been revascularized. You definitely can have it and will have it if you still have the, if you still have uh, limb ischemia, uh, but even after you've seemingly fixed it and have done your bypass, you can you must still keep an eye out for that to happen. It can it can it can occur later due to those secondary effects, as you said. Now, again, I'm going to ask you, what is the most important sign of compartment syndrome? Uh, how do you, how, what, what is going to stand out? I mean, obviously you're going to get the paresthesia, you're going to get reduced pulses and everything else, but there's one sign that is the most um, common in um, compartment syndrome. Yeah, the key symptom in addition to what we've sort of already talked about, um, when you, I'm going to use the example of a leg when you flex um, someone's foot up towards their head. So the movement of that muscle um, causes them an increase in pain when they have compartment syndrome. Yeah, that's right. So passive movement of the muscles within the compartment uh, is going to cause you uh, to develop a significant amount of pain. And that is um, 
that is classical that present that is present in the majority of compartment syndrome. But if it's not there, uh, it doesn't mean that compartment syndrome does not exist. Sometimes, occasionally, people will not have pain, especially if they've just had an acute um, ischemic limb and maybe um, on a lot of opioid agents. Um, uh, you, so you, you need to have a significant index of suspicion. So um, in, in the compartment syndrome, uh, we classically say that if you've got pressures of over 30 millimeters of mercury, uh, then that's, that's uh, uh, diagnostic of a compartment syndrome having developed or developing. Um, and if you do have uh, a suspicion of compartment syndrome and, and signs of that, what do you need to do? Um, so I believe the sort of definitive treatment of compartment syndrome is a, what's called an open fasciotomy or a fasciotomy, yep. which is basically making an, an incision in the fascia that comprises the compartment to release the pressure. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. You need to do a, a compartment fasciotomy and it's a, a four compartment fasciotomy to release um, all of the muscles of the lower limb and usually done through uh, two incisions on each side. Um, and um, uh, that that is going to be the definitive treatment. And uh, you, as long as the leg is has got good blood supply, once the swelling settles down, you will be able to close those wounds by secondary intention, uh, and hopefully your patient will walk out of the hospital. All right, that's that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Andrew. That was really good. No worries. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, really, really appreciate the sort of getting myself on uh, Spotify. And nice to meet you finally after listening for so long. Likewise, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get you back again uh, in the future. Um, and uh, hopefully that time it's not going to be as rushed, eh? Yep, well, fingers crossed, and yeah, can't wait. Thanks, Andrew. Take care and see you soon. Virtual Board Rounds is available wherever you get your podcasts. For updates, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, or to send your thoughts, queries, concerns, comments, you can also email us at virtualboardrounds at gmail.com. Until next time, happy studies.